So we're starting a new series this morning called Defining Moments. The Bible is full of stories where someone is given a choice and an opportunity to change their trajectory. Like Rahab, does she help the spies? Does David walk onto the battlefield and face Goliath? Does Elijah stay in the cave? Do the Israelites cross the Red Sea? Does Jesus submit to the cross? Each one of these is a defining moment. Amen. We have these in our lives too, right? Those crazy hard decisions. Somebody besides me has got to have experienced to those, right? But our choices matter. The choices in that moment when we tackle those everyday tasks are the really hard ones, like how we behave towards people in our family, people in our community, people at work. How we show up in the world matters. It matters how we do what we've been asked to do. And those choices, those moments are the ones where one choice will bring life and good fruit and where the other choice will bring death and bad fruit. That's what we mean when we say defining moment. So I hope as we go through this this morning that we can answer some questions. And remember, Bridge family, this is between you and God. You're not allowed to elbow anybody. So the first question, what is the posture of our heart in the work that God has given for us to do? How are we doing with what he's asked us to do? How are we fulfilling our calling, our parenting, our singleness, our married life? How are we stewarding what God has given us? What is the posture of our hearts in obedience in all of those things? You see, in each of those, we have a choice, and God meets us there and shapes us if we choose to allow it. So this morning, if you're willing to open your hearts and your minds, I believe that God has one of these defining moments for us. Yes. You see, God promised the Israelites a land of their own, a land that would flow with milk and honey. He promised that to Abraham. He promised Abraham that his descendants would outnumber the stars. That he promised Moses that he would deliver the, the Israelites to the promised land under Joshua's leadership. In our bridge builders plan this week, we read in Deuteronomy 31, the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. Amen. He will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will also cross over ahead of you as the Lord said, and the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So the Lord's been very clear that the Israelites are to go into the promised land and to remove all of the other nations because he knows that if they don't, they will fall into worshiping foreign gods and practicing all sorts of bad things. Yeah. And maybe I'm a little like the Israelites. Maybe I'm alone, I don't know. But they didn't do it. They didn't follow God all the way. They sort of did it kind of halfway. And I don't know about you, but I know the cycle well, right? So we sin. 
and then our life falls apart. We fall under the oppression of the consequences of our sin. We cry out to God for help, and he rescues us, and then we come to this place of peace, right? Yes. Amen. And we just keep doing that over and over. I hear the yeses in, in the audience, and I'm, I'm grateful to hear from the congregation because I thought for a minute I was by myself. Because we tend to, in those moments, once we've got that peace again, we get lazy and complacent. Or maybe we just don't do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. Maybe we just only do the right thing or the right way or the right reasons. Maybe we don't do them all together. Well, the Israelites definitely did that. And God knew it was going to happen, so God raised up a judge, a leader. Not a court and gavel judge. This is a, like a civic leader with military authority. So think like a provincial governor. Because this is also one of the most brutal times in the Israelites' history. And I warn you, this book of the Bible is not for the faint of heart. Judges has some of the bloodiest passages in the whole of scripture. So during this time, God raises up 14 judges. Six of them were military in focus, and one of those was Gideon. Most of you have heard of Gideon and the fleeces, and we're going to start a little before that, and then we're going to dig deeper. So let's jump into the story. Would you read um, Judges 6-1 with me? The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Okay? So we're just going to, I'm just going to not turn around. Because <laughs> every time I do, there's that noise, and it's awful. Okay, so in this time of history, as we can see, the Israelites perpetuated the cycle of sin. Yeah. They do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They fall under oppression by someone like the Midianites, and they cry out to God to raise them up a leader, in this case a judge, and then they'd have a time of peace. So we see in Judges 6, verses 7 to 10, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Isn't it good that God is more faithful than we are? That even when we do stuff like this, he still pursues us and shows up for us. Would you read with me Judges 11 through 14? Judges 6, 11 through 14? I'm going to try it. We'll see what happens. Okay. The angel of the Lord came and sat on a tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And on to verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. 
the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? So Gideon is having this kind of woe is me moment, right? Where's all the miracles? Where's all the wonders? Where's all the signs? But can you blame him? The Midianites are the biggest and baddest army on the block. But what Gideon is missing is that the Lord has allowed this consequence because they are ignoring his direction. They've fallen into sin, and that has moved them out from under God's protection. I mean, his feelings are valid, right? He has a reason to be scared. There's legitimacy there. You're surrounded by an enemy that can swarm you the way the Japanese beetles are currently swarming the oak trees in my front yard. The Midianites are definitely a formidable foe. But the angel of the Lord says, am I not sending you? So if you're Gideon, does it help? I mean, he's been commissioned by the great I am, but how are you feeling? How are you going to respond? How am I going to respond? I can tell you it was not pretty. So when we go on to Judges um, 15 to 16, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered with, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Okay, so not only is Gideon not really kind of in this, but he says that he's not the best choice for the job. And here's God assuring him that actually, I'm with you. You don't have to do this by yourself because you're going to win. So how do you respond when God asks us to do the impossible? Amen. <laughs> it's quiet in the room online, family. <laughs> Leonard says we jump, we jump. So Gideon, like many of us, continues to wrestle with God because that's what I did. I am not like Leonard. But he asks us for signs. Gideon, or Gideon asks him for signs, and the angel gives him these massive, like, billboard-level, sky-riding kind of signs. Like, hey, God's with you. God's in this. You got this. And each one, after, after each one, Gideon's like, okay, God, but can you just show me one more time that it's really you? I mean, I don't blame him. God's asking him to do something really hard. He's asking a lot of these people, a lot of his people at this point, and to truth be told, the Midianites are on this explosive growth recruiting program right now, so they've not only got themselves, but they've now recruited the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples that have crossed the Jordan. So you've got Gideon and 32,000 Israelites and 135,000 Midianites. Gideon's heart is not in this. He's like, Okay, you say that, but I'm looking around, and it ain't looking good. So would you read with me Judges 6, 33 to 34? Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and Eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, 
and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and blows the trumpet, calling for the Abyssalites to band together, because God has promised to deliver the Israelites from this situation. Even then, there's more testing from Gideon. More requests of assurance from God for whatever the reason, God in all of his patience continues to comply with Gideon's requests. Okay, you guys, like, let's, we keep it real around here. In my mind, if I'm God, I am so done with Gideon. Like, seriously, dude? Like, I keep giving you, like, I showed up and I did all this stuff, and I mean, I don't think there's such a thing as a holy eye roll. Um, <laughs> Because that's totally me, and I mean, I'm grateful that God is more patient with me than I am with Gideon. And because I know that this is my pattern, right? This is the waxing and waning, uh, waning of my willingness to be obedient to what God has for me. Without a temper tantrum, without eye rolling, or some form of grown-up fit. So instead of rolling my eyes at Gideon, maybe I ought to consider being thankful to God for his patience and his faithfulness. So surprisingly, this still continues. Like, so we're not at a point where that's enough testing and reassurance for Gideon. He's still afraid. He's still upset. He's still not in it. But this is where it really gets good. Now, read with me Judges 7-2. I'm not turning around. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Okay, wait a minute. Y'all can do math, right? He's gonna, he just did all this stuff to gather more people to the Israelite army to make them the 32,000, and now God's going, but y'all, I need to get all the credit for this. He wants them to only be able to say that God did this for me. For us, he's asking the same. Look at what God does in our lives, in our work, in our ministry, in our family. So let's keep reading. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear, may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remain. Okay, hold on a second. In God's way of thinking, there are too many because he knows the heart of the Israelites. If there are too many on their side, God will not get any of the glory. He sends, if he sends any one of them who's afraid home, and the first time I read this, I was surprised that Gideon wasn't one of them. I mean, he was, after all, hiding in the wine press, right? Okay, back to the scripture. Sorry. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are too many still. Oh, take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So if you're Gideon, how you doing right now? You're about to face an army of 135,000 troops, and you have lost 12 
thousand of them. So here's the thing. In our world, it's highly unlikely that we are ever going to face these kind of 10 to 1 odds, right? Our circumstances get overwhelming in these moments. We've cut down the size of this army now, so it looks like nobody's supporting us and nobody's helping us anymore. In Judges 5 to, uh, 7, 5 and 6, so Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as, dog, as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands lapping down. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. And then there's this moment. So standing at the water's edge, crazy outnumbered with 10,000, God asks Gideon to send them home. Send them home. So God finally stops cutting away the, the, the troops. And I can't imagine what's going through Gideon's mind, because in my mind, I'm freaking out, right? Gideon's probably saying something like, I started out hiding in a wine press. God proved me by coming, and he took my offering, and then he saturated the fleece, and then he saturated the ground, and he proved to me that it was really him to go take the Midianites, and now he's taken me down to a level that there is absolutely no way I can do this. You ever felt like that? Like everything in your life has fallen away or been taken away? I, I certainly have more times than I want to admit. Think about that time that everything was taken. Your purpose, your identity, your mission, or maybe it was your voice. Your marriage, your family, your finances, or in a crisis, you lost everyone. Like Naomi after her husband and sons died. And we're left standing there looking around, asking God for help. And there's this moment, we don't even know where to go from here, God. We don't even know what to do, God. How are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to get through this? And right now isn't any different for the Israelites. But God said, I will be with you. And you will strike down the Midianites. And I don't know about you, but at this point, I can't imagine how we're going to go there. So let's find out. So in Judges 7, 9 through 11, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down to the camp, because you're going to give it to you. I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid, go down with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah and his servant went down to the camp, to the outposts of the camp. Now Gideon is still afraid, so he does what God asked him to do, he got encouragement. He took his servant, they went down to the camp, and he hears the right word for right now. So there's this Midianite guy who's telling another guy about a dream that he had where the camp gets taken out. And it's exactly what Gideon needs to hear, because in this moment now, 
Gideon falls on his face and worships. Because God, understanding our humanity in situations like this, where it's not meant to trip us up, it's not meant for us to fail, because God is so for us, he is so for you. God takes Gideon to the place where he can hear the interpretation of the dream, and he is encouraged. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianites into our hands. A defining moment. Overhearing the dream changed Gideon. Instead of asking for another sign, he simply falls down and praises God, and he's ready. He's ready to go. And God is now suddenly in the mix. And I don't know what just happened. Technology is our friend until it isn't. So Gideon gets up and shouts that the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. He divides everyone into three companies. Each of a hundred, they each get a clay jar, a torch, the trumpets, and they head out. Gideon gives them some instructions. Do what I do, and when you do it, I want you to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, wait a minute. God has been very clear that he wants all the glory. Did you hear what Gideon just did there? In Judges 7.20, the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their hands and holding their right hands holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted for a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. So let me ask you, when, God's asks, when God asks for your yes, are you in it for him or for you? It got real quiet. The 300 blew the trumpets, smashed the jars, and yelled, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And God caused the Midianites to turn on themselves and kill each other. And the rest ran away. Victory was theirs. It didn't come in the way that they imagined. They actually just showed up and made a bunch of noise. 135,000 troops are gone because they showed up and blew trumpets and smashed jars. God did everything. There were challenges. There were moments. There was one major moment, and Gideon believed God in that moment, and it shifted everything. He trusted God, and God was faithful. In Judges 8, to 23, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hands of Midian. Let's get it again. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. In this moment, it's not only about trusting God through the victory. God gave the victory into Gideon's hands. After each victory, though, there's this temptation. So we get to that mountaintop, and we think, look what I did. And we see that in Gideon. Check it out. In Judges 8.24, he said, But I do have one request that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. 
In Judges 8.27, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town, and all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Now, of course, they would ask him to rule over them. After a victory like that, I feel like we would all do the same thing. But now Gideon is saying, Gideon's very double-minded here because he's saying, well, let God rule over you, but you could just give me this ephod, this idol, this golden calf like the Israelites had in the wilderness. This one token was not part of the deal. And aren't we just like that, though? I want the promotion. I want the award. I want the recognition. Me, me, mine. Look at how great I am. Gideon is after his own glory right here. His motives have changed from fearfully humble to taking credit for what God clearly did. So we ask ourselves, God knows your motives. Do you? If we reflect on this story, what is the posture of our hearts? What is the true motivation for what you're trying to achieve? In Colossians 3, 23 to 24, Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word. And we thank you for the opportunity to come closer to you, to know you better, to know your heart. Lord, we know that you look at our hearts, and I ask that you would reveal the truth in us, that we would know what to do with it once we've seen it and heard it. Yes, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.